Hey, yo, Kina, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh, we're divesting from whiteness. Back in session, y'all. I mean, it's not school, but it's a brand new episode. And I am here with an amazing, brilliant, poetic, charismatic, beautiful, fluent, I just, I, I can't stop using adjectives to describe my friend Ileana, who has graciously decided to jump on the mic. And I say jump because as a podcaster, you obviously like, you scope out and you're like, hey, these are the people I want to have conversations with. And I contacted Ileana and I was like, you know what? I think I really need to have this conversation. And Ileana was so gracious um, and saying, you know what? Yes. Like, I'm doing a, a million things mm-hmm. and decided to get on the line. In some ways, 2020 and 2021 merged together and cre- became like this giant monster. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was monster. Like, monster is a good word for it. Yes. But that's not the only thing though, right? And so because we believe in host, like holding multiple truths, I mean, in some ways it also was like, a cave but then also in some ways maybe it was like a mermaid and pushing us <laughs> forward to like yes I made three different metaphors for what last was <laughs> a cave a monster and a mermaid but pushing us forward to new realities yeah yeah um, I definitely think so I think it was a culmination of you know two different years that were intense and challenging in their own way, but also they were a catalyst for a lot of awakening. It was a catalyst for a lot of learning. Um, it was a catalyst for a lot of empowerment for people of color in particular. Um, yeah. And, you know, with the, with the challenges and even with the good parts of it, um, it definitely felt like those two years blended together and I don't know where the time went. <laughs> yeah, agree, agree. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down thought pattern. And as long as you think that old sit-down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains. I'll be trying to find a way to break the chains. Say it. be strange, it be strange, it be strange. I'll be trying to find a way to make the change. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains. I'll be trying to find a way to break the chains. Say it. So let me tell you, in true divesting from whiteness fashion, I'm going to tell you how I know Ileana, and then I'm going to open the floor for Ileana to share some things about herself. So I, the the resume will tell you that Ileana is is a decolonizing educator. She's a Puerto Rico native. the founder of Embody Inclusivity. So 
Ileana has her own wellness brand. She's an activist. She does consulting. She does yoga stuff. That's all <laughs> of the stuff that makes you pass Ileana's resume around the room. But what the resume won't tell you that Ileana is one of the fiercest people out here in these social media streets. <laughs> she will give everybody the business at any time. <laughs> and, you know, this is important in a world where we feel like we're constantly um, creating value around how many clicks or likes somebody has. And Ileana is the type of, I guess if I had to use the word, um, like social media influencer and advocate that I want to model some better practices around, which what does it mean to say what's important no matter what, you know? Mm. Because I think in social media world, it's easy to, I don't know, uh, respond to the masses. Mm -hmm. And it gets harder and harder to stick to our guns not literal but proverbial guns <laughs> when it comes to speaking truth to power so I am really lucky to have my friend uh get the gat get the gat Ileana on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that <laughs> okay yeah I think about like some of the things that I'm running in my head that like like came across my timeline in 2021. I mean, you know, you and I were talking about this, like people, you're, I'm not going to say it correctly. You're going to say it correctly, but people like on the island of Hawaii who were like, hell no, y'all don't come back here anymore. You know, (laughs) yeah. or like people like in 2020, the great resignation started, but it continued. People in 2021 were like leaving jobs. Like, yeah, I'm out of this bitch. You know what I'm saying? I'm out. Yeah. Like me being one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) And we are so happy for it. Right. Like, uh, people like myself who did the great resignation, three, four, five years ago, um, we were so happy to see other people, you know, also take that leap um, as challenging as it can be, because it is so empowering, and it can be really fulfilling. And, and it brings a lot of liberation and freedom for those who are really trying to search for it. So um, yeah, it was, it it was a year. I mean, it was a two years. (laughs) Yeah. And then also people, people also making, I think, one of the things that also stands out to me is people really starting to see that rest isn't something that people have to earn, right? That right. rest is something that is all of our birthrights. Right. Yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And it really brought in the conversation around um, the ideas and the stereotypes around brown and black people resting, right? The idea, moving away from the ideas of laziness, moving away from the ideas of, um, you know, people of color just not being motivated right like we're debunking all of those stereotypes and or specifically for people of color because so so much of what we have internalized has been that you know if I'm not working I'm not valuable or if I'm yeah. not you know producing or hustling or making money or you know just not working on my myself grind. to death. if, I'm not, if I'm not on the grind exactly yeah. then I you know there must be something wrong with me right if I take time off then that automatically makes me lazy and the of society and we are you know with that um 
with that internalization comes a lot of, you know, it comes to the detriment of our health and not just our physical health, but our mental health as well. So the conversation around rest was so needed and long overdue. I'm thinking of two things you did specifically. So one, you launched your career last year as a journalist for people who missed that moment. <laughs> I would love for you to like give a 30 second like you know montage about the amazing work you've been doing um as a journalist you added that to your uh your resume last year friend I did I know and it's really exciting and for a long time I really thought like it's just it's not gonna happen you know I really subscribe to the idea that when it comes to journalists you have to go to school you have to have like a master's degree or you have to have some sort of background bachelor's in journalism itself. And what I really learned um, from other journalists who either do have schooling or don't have schooling is that you can be successful as a journalist without schooling. You don't actually need schooling. And some of the best journalists actually never went to a school for journalism. Um, but it really is about having a hunger for digging deeper, um, being able to do storytelling in a way that's very compelling, that gets the point across without without you know having to bash it in people's heads like this is what's right and this is what's wrong um and so for me when I you know kind of mentally decided that this was the path the next path forward um it's an addition to it's not the, that I'm totally switching careers. It's in addition to the work that I have been doing for the last couple of years. Um, it was really empowering to hear other people say, you know, you can do this. Like this is definitely something that you are more than capable of doing. And you've in a way already been doing that on your Patreon and, um, and, and, and adding journalists, you know, right now, independent freelance journalists onto my skill set is only just going to open up so much more resources that I can then, you know, provide more information than I otherwise wouldn't be able to, to my audience, but also to other people like yourself in the podcast. So I'm really excited to take this, this new avenue. I mean, your piece that talked about the historical artifacts that yeah. are, have been stolen from indigenous and native peoples, um, and just globally was really eye-opening to me. I knew about some of the things you shared about, but you really went full throttle which is everything you do is full throttle and so if y'all have not had a chance to connect with that Ileana published that work with um don't make me say the project's <laughs> name wrong Ileana you published that work with uh what organization yeah so this first piece as a journalist was for Latino rebels uh out of Futuro Media so Futuro Media is actually a really great organization that is aiming to help to support um future journalists of color, particularly of Latin descent. So it's it's an incredible, um, you know, media company. It's born from Maria Hinojosa, who has been an NPR correspondent for a really long time and uh, an author and podcaster herself. So that um, being a freelance journalist for Latino Rebels um, really helped to open up, you know, like I said, much more resources and, and a lot more um, that is now open to me that I can, you know, dive 
that much deeper into certain topics. And uh, this particular piece was uh, specifically about the Tainos and how the myth of extinction has really allowed museums and auction houses to resell uh, Taino artifacts, um, such as ceremonial artifacts uh, that are typically seen as, you know, just like a piece of ceramic or art artwork, you know, things that are made out of wood are seen as art pieces that you can just put on a mantle somewhere. And, um, and for a long time, that has been to the detriment of uh, Tainos in the Caribbean. And so this piece was not just a personal piece to me, but it was really important to me because uh, without the, the journalistic piece, I wouldn't have been able to talk to a lot of the people that were a part of the piece. And also I was able to get a statement directly from Christie's, which I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do to kind of add to the perspective and to get their point of view and their side and to really dismantle, you know, a lot of the wording that they chose to use. So yeah, it was really exciting to be able to do that. So y'all go back and check that out if you didn't get to that work in 2021. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be me and we wouldn't be friends if I failed to mention all the white people you gathered last year. <laughs> <laughs> so there Which was that part, you know, you... <laughs> <laughs> you did gather some white folks last year so I, did, I mean look I at did. you just you, you know you do the work you 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 360 friend you 360 <laughs> <laughs> I know I know and yeah. you know it's it's been so interesting because so you never know you know once you once you put information out there it, you know it's it's really up to people to decide how they're gonna go you know how they're gonna use that information right and how they're gonna react to it and so the I felt like for me at least and, and I'm sure that you've experienced the same in, in 2021 for me it was so interesting to see everybody's response to a multitude of different things right and whiteness is whiteness no matter what so really what I'm hoping to help to dismantle within people of all different identities is how whiteness shows up which is always pretty consistent. It's very um, predictable. And it the only thing that changes is the person, right? Or sometimes the behavior. But the behavior is always rooted in the same thing. So it's always really surprising to me to see <laughs> a multitude of reactions. You know, one day, uh, you know, I'll call out something, whether it's from uh, behavior from a person or a system. And people will react, you know, positively uh, for that. And they will feel, you know, particularly people of color will feel empowered to share their own experiences around, you know, similar behavior. And then in the same, you know, year, I might call out uh, another person or another, you know, systemic um, institution, and people will have the total opposite react. So it's fascinating how the same behavior that stems out of whiteness will invoke multiple different reactions in people, um, even though in my mind, they are the same. Uh, for other people, it's not. So it's been a very interesting year of calling out whiteness. Yeah, and I think that's why this, this particular episode is going to be so impactful for people um, as kind of I, I won't say it's a roadmap but you know hopefully people are going to listen to this when you know early in their 2022 journey and I feel like this episode will really give people some language for some people um going to be new language but yeah. to help them 
like realign their values around what we really want to name as what what I name as eliminating all colonial settler projects. Yeah. Rather, those are the ones that have pre-existed or currently do exist. And so yeah. one of the things I think about or some of the work that you did last year, um, the work you did with the support, the Sephora campaign was really incredible for me um, yeah. because it really helped me see how, I mean, I always knew that the beauty industry um, was violent um, and you really did such a good job working with so many amazing natives and indigenous folks with really painting how that particular organization was working tirelessly on future but also existing colonial projects and ideologies. So I hope that this yeah. episode, if you haven't seen that work, go, I'm just telling people all the stuff that they probably missed from 2021 <laughs> about you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just in case you didn't catch that, you know, um, but that's what we're here to do in this episode is remind people the value of decolonizing work. And before we get into that, Ileana and I thought it would be fun to tell you about some of the things that we're not doing in 2022, right? Like we're things that we don't want to see show up in 2022 that we yes. might have seen show up in 2021. So I'll start us off. Yes. 2021 was a really pivotal year for me in terms of naming boundaries. And so I feel like in 2022, what I'm not going to do, what we're not going to do is have people trying to diminish the boundaries that right. I set for myself. Yes. Um, it's time, y'all. When people give you boundaries, respect them. You don't have to, you don't even have to like them, you know? <laughs> but right. in 2022, we're going to learn how to respect people's boundaries. Exactly. And I think a big point in that also is, you know, boundaries can feel very challenging for people who are not used to them or, or mm. people who aren't used to enacting them and, and setting them for themselves, but also for certain people who have never had to uh, respect people's boundaries because of their privilege or because of the way that they grew up around notions uh, around, you know, what they are entitled to or not entitled to. And so boundaries, I think, should continue to be a really big conversation alongside the conversation of rest because, you know, I've experienced that myself. Like as a woman of color, setting boundaries for me was really, really difficult. I was always told you need to be as accessible at all times to all people as often as possible. <laughs> and so boundaries has been something that has been really challenging for me. But when I set them, it's also challenging for those who feel very entitled to my time and my presence and my work to accept them and respect them. So it really goes both ways. So I'm glad you brought that one up. So now it's your turn. What is something that you're not going to do in 2022? <laughs> one thing I'm not going to do in 2022. You know, I think one of the biggest things is I I don't want to continue centering whiteness in the same way that I used to. And not that I always center whiteness, but I think there are some times when whiteness is just the automatic and whiteness becomes the, you know, the thing to dismantle all the time every day. And what I really am hoping to do in both my <clears throat> in both my anti-racist and decolonial work is 
to work more on the empowerment piece and to work more on dismantling, you know, all the ways in which we have internalized whiteness and in ways that don't have to really center whiteness or white folks in general. So I think what I'm not going to (laughs) do in 2022 is automatically, you know, focus on whiteness. I want to automatically build the skill of focusing on empowering people of color. And sometimes that's hard to do when, you know, all around you, it's whiteness all the time, 24 seven. But I think it's important. I think it's important, not just for me and my personal work and, and also my personal growth. But I think it's important that, you know, people of color feel empowered to talk about our culture, to talk about the the joys um, that are a part of our existence, um, alongside also dismantling the challenges too. So I, I think that's what I'm going to do or not do. <laughs> All right. So listen, you know, I want to encourage all listeners out there to create your own list of things you're not going to bring into 2022. Um, I know people get really obsessed about New Year's resolutions. We're not on that. Like that is that's not <laughs> I encourage, but I do like this idea of people starting the year, really establishing things that are no longer serving them. Right. Um, and I think that's just a good life habit. Uh, I also want us to talk about the things we are going to do. <laughs> The things yes. we are doing in 2022. So friend, what are some projects you've got popping off in 2022 that you feel like people need to know about? Yes, yeah, so I'm really glad that you asked because finally you and I have created our own Yay. project <laughs> that we are going to be launching, which is really, really exciting. And I hope people are ready because it's going to be powerful. Anyone is ready for anything we do together. So <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. But yes. So we are going to be teaching a four-part yes. series, a four-part series uh, called "Manifesting a De- Decolonial Future Beyond the Black and White Binary," and I'm so excited because I think Ileana, yes. what it does is it kind of gives people a window into the conversations you and I regularly have, mm-hmm. like across Marcos, across text messages, <laughs> across DMs, across audio messages. Uh, <laughs> I think that is. I know we didn't talk a lot about this, but that's kind of the origin story of us. Well, at least I feel like that's kind of the origin story of our friendship is me checking yeah. in with you. I had already been learning from you for a while. Um, and then me checking in with you and I was like, hey, I'm going to say something, but I want to make sure that the thing I'm saying is not in any way harmful to your community. Mm. And I just feel like you've done the same thing with me. And so we do a lot of checking in in our private friendship. Like, hey, did I go, like, am I out of bounds? is this like Mm -hmm. I think this series kind of gives people an opportunity to learn from the things we do in friendship if that makes any sense yeah I think you know one of the greatest things about being in friendship and you know being in community with culturally diverse and racially diverse people is um is learning how to be respectful um in a way that you know, can contributes to each other's growth. So not tokenizing each other, not using or manipulating each other's existence or experiences, but really learning to go outside of individualism or individualistic thinking and considering what the opposite perspective might be. Um, and that is a skill that needs to be learned, right? That's definitely not 
you know, something that I was taught when I was younger, you know, um, even as a person of color, we absorb, you know, different things from the media and different biases and different stereotypes. And um, oftentimes it is a skill that we need to build to learn how to respect another person's perspective and continue uh, utilizing that learning and that growth into everything that we do so that it continues to be a decolonial existence that we are working towards. So I'm really happy that we're doing this together because the black white binary um, is something that so many people, you know, really operate under and really subscribe to. But eventually, we really need to learn to be a society that uh, dismantles the, the, the myth of race, right? the construct of race, um, even though we have to respect that there are very real uh, implications and consequences and challenges that come with the racial binary. So I'm really excited about this. I think, you know, working with you is so special. And uh, I'm so excited for what people are going to be able to learn from each of our perspectives and each of our um, expertise, too, because you've been, you know, doing this work for a really, really long time. So I think it'll be really exciting to have people learn from you in this real way. I mean, look, people don't want to know how you have to hold my hand every time you're like beyond the race <laughs> construct. And I'm like, what do you mean? What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time I'm like, have you considered? Have you considered? <laughs> yeah, it's very real. And it's real for all racialized identities, right? Like even sometimes for me, I'm still very much like, wait a minute, but I thought it was this. And you're like, mm -mm, think about that. And it really helps to open up, you know, a multitude yeah. of questions, but it also brings a lot of answers too. Yes. So y'all listen, we're gonna, in the show notes, you're gonna see some information about how to get connected to that. Uh, you're gonna see, all the logistics that's going to be in the show notes so make sure to check that out um and that series is going to start mid-january so we're excited about offering that anything else people need to know i mean i know you got so much going on in 2022 <laughs> excited for what's coming up in 2022 because i'm currently finalizing all the details and all of the things that i want to accomplish you know particularly with this new avenue in journalism and really learning how to use storytelling and expanded resources to be able to get, you know, different perspectives out there uh, with people. I'll be launching my YouTube channel with that. Um, hopefully a podcast will also come along with that too. And of course you're going to be a guest. Wait, 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 y'all. We got to back this straight up. Beep, beep, beep. I want to make sure y'all got this on racks because <laughs> if there was anybody who needs to be regularly casting the pod, <laughs> that's right i know and it's been a long time coming so many people have been asking me for a podcast when is it coming i've been you know really digesting it the idea of it for two years at least um so i'm really excited that that's going to be a thing that's going to happen now with you know additional resources and latino rebels and futuro media on my side it's going to be really exciting to put all of this information together for people and and do it on a weekly basis. I think that's really exciting. And I almost kind of have like my own show. I always wanted to do that. Um, I and know. Yeah. You want me and to there's... sing your theme music? Because I'm... <laughs> I would be honored. I would be so honored. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to start so working many... on my voice yeah, right now, on my vocals. <laughs> I'll start, like I'll get a vocal coach, you know, get it, get it. I'll just get it, heat it up. Just get it ready. Get warmed up. Do all the, <laughs> all the exercises. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear it. 
but oh. um, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting year. There's a lot of uh, a lot more collaborations. In particular, um, I'm really excited about um, collaborating more with the Grapevine TV. Which, if people don't know, the Grapevine is a fantastic YouTube channel um, that is now growing into so much more. And um, I'm really excited to be working with them uh, out outside of just you know being a contributor to their panels. So there's a lot. There's a lot happening in 2022. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, continue moving in a decolonial direction. That's what it's all about. Yes, decolonial direction, which is what this episode is all about. Y'all get into it. It is not for the faint of heart. Ileana and I are trying to get us us free, right? <laughs> See a world where shared humanity exists for all beings, for all yes. humans. Um, And that work is not for the people who can't say with their full chest. So here at uh, DFW Podcast, I always ask the question, well, I always remind our listeners that context means everything. So the question I'm asking you is, what is shaping your life today? Yeah, so today what is shaping my life is really um, rest. And I know that we were talking a little bit about my challenges with rest (laughs) earlier and how I went through, you know, two weeks, like solidly of deep, 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 deep anxiety and depression and was feeling really guilty about taking time off. So now that I am, you know, kind of feeling energetic and motivated and, I've really taken the time to rest guilt-free. Um, that made all the difference. That was honestly really amazing. So, and, and I really have to thank people like you who are in my life who are reminding me of that because like you said, social media can really bring you down to this you know, low level of constant consumption, constant content creation, constant giving, 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 um, without any regard to the person's mental health in which is, you know, is educating, right? And I think this culture does such a good job of suppressing the educator's humanity, because we just want to learn, right? Like, I, if you're an expert in something, you need to educate me as much as possible so that I can then take this education and this knowledge to the next level for myself. And then it just continues to perpetuate this constant system of the educator is consistently depleted. And we don't have a culture that says, you know what, when the educator needs rest, it's time for you to, um, as, as the student, as the learner, to give the educator that space. And social media is not a great space for that. (laughs) It really isn't. It's all about how much can you give me at any moment? How relevant can you stay? If you're not educating, then you must not be an expert. Or the other part of social media is if you're not talking about every issue on the planet, then you don't care or you don't know enough. And that was really starting to get to me. So right now, rest. Um, and guilt-free rest was, is what's really um, driving the future of how I show up, not just on social media, but how I show up for my students. 
I love so much of what you said. Um, because again, as as your friend, I definitely saw that need for you. Um, but also again, as a co-conspirator, someone who is educating and someone who is committed to community wellness and advocacy and, and changing the world we live in, I know how easy it is to get into that frenzy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, last year in particular, and I don't want to even say, I, I don't know. I don't know how we quantify, like, I'm still struggling to get the language for myself about how we like name, quantify and discuss followers. I really mm. don't like that term, but <laughs> that's neither here yeah. nor there. But I didn't have a, a great, well, whatever. I don't know even how we define a great deal of followers, but at that time I definitely didn't have as many as I have now. But mm -hmm. there was moments where I just felt like I have to produce, I have to produce, I have to produce. And it wasn't even attached so much as like, I want people to like and share, whatever. It was more like, I can fix the things. I can fix the things. If I just make one right. more post, I can keep one more person alive. It's like, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make logical sense. But this, this will that your brain kind of can get on and if you're not careful, you can stay on. But yeah. I was also going to say, Liana, I don't even know if that's limited to educators, right? I also think that we live in a world that A, very much is used to consuming Black and Brown Indigenous folks, mm -hmm. consuming us, not honoring us. And the second thing is the very nature of capitalism tells us that we only have value when we produce you see what mm -hmm. i'm saying and so yeah. we're always fighting against those types of tensions you know that my value isn't rooted in what i produce and also right. i'm just one component of this larger communal response to racial injustice and oppression you know what i'm saying yeah wholeheartedly and honestly what's coming up for me because right now you know, today specifically, I made a post about Latina Heritage Month, right? And how, and how people typically. Wait, you didn't hear me. I was on mute. I was like woohooing <laughs> in the background. I want y'all to hear my woohoo. Say it again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I made this post because I was 13 days into Latina Heritage Month and I am so disappointed in the lack of not only acknowledgement, celebration, you know, history, just the lack of care around just Latinos in general. And, um, but I made this post and honestly, what came up for me while you were talking is typically, and I can, I, I, I always try to speak from experience because that's really what I know, right? And so from my experience, it, it really is that Latinos are seen as the workers, the laborers, the, you know, the brown, the brown and black immigrant, that if you come to this country, and I'm talking about the West specifically, if you come to this country and you can't be of physical value to this economy, then you have no business being here. We don't want you. 
And that for me has been so in, internalized and entrenched in a way that I didn't realize until literally recently, until I really started to look at the ways in which when I am resting, I feel guilty about resting. And that's not really rest, <laughs> right? Like I can't relax. I can't relax because I'm constantly feeling anxious about coming back to work or coming back to the grind or, you know, all of the things that are currently going on. You know, I'm an activist at heart. I, I talk about social justice issues. It's important to me, but there are so, there were so many instances where even when I was burnt out and I needed to relax, I couldn't because I was constantly internalizing this idea that if you are not being productive, then you are not valuable and people are going to forget about you or they're going to toss you to the side, right? And that is something that I think for us as people of color in general, we don't even realize how deep that has been internalized until we actually look at it. Which brings us to <laughs> why we're here today, friend. And this episode, <laughs> we're not gonna let white people kill us. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so I want to say to the people who are listening to this, who happen to be of the paler persuasion, white folks <laughs> <laughs> the people of the power um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're we're going to get really real here um there is nuance in this conversation but no one is ever told before coming to record that they need to police their voices and they have to romanticize the truth. So I wanna put this disclaimer that if you are a white person who uh, has only read Robin DeFangelo's <laughs> books, you probably can't handle this episode. And I also wanna say that this tagline uh, this episode title isn't just a tagline, actually, because this is how I've been living my life since 2020, right? <laughs> like, <I'm>, <laughs> like when COVID came on the scene, Eliana, I was like, you know what? I can't let these white people kill me. And I thought that would be my theme for 2020. But guess what? It came back in 2021. Except mm -hmm. for when it came back in 2021, I was like, this needs to be everybody's theme, including white people. White people right. need to develop a I'm not about to let these white people kill me attitude too. Mm -hmm. That's right. So that is what we're talking about today. And so I'm listening to you and I hear that. And I want to say this in the nature of not, um, I don't want to minimize what you said. I want to solidify it with cross-cultural references. Yeah. Every group of people who are black, brown, and indigenous were brought to this country to work, to labor, mm -hmm. group, every single group. When we think about in the United States in particular, the legislative actions that have said, 
people from Mexico come to United States. But the why of it wasn't because we were like, or because why wasn't like, oh, come to United States to add some cultural relevance or any of that. It was come to United States to work. For the Chinese and Americans, it wasn't like come to United States, our culture would be enriched by your presence. It was like come to United States to work. You know what I'm saying? And for the folk from the Africans, it was like come to United States to I wouldn't even call it to work, mm. right? I, I think, I don't know if that term like holds all of that, right. what chattel enslavement was. But I'm saying that everybody who's brown, everybody who is not a white person was brought here with that premise. Right. Yeah. And so- and- there's an ancestral knowing there. You get what I'm saying? Like that's when we start talking about body work. That's ancestral. Your ancestors, like even though they're from the island, but you know, carry that whole the empire and the weight of empire too. You know what I'm saying? So I'm opening the floor for like your response and all the amazing shit you're gonna say. <laughs> no, you're hundred percent right. I was listening to, um, I was listening to a podcast on NPR and I'm forgetting which one it is, but they were doing an entire episode on why, um, there seems to be so many nurses that are from the Philippines and they did a deep dive into the history of it. And it's very much what you just said. It's the U.S. government or, you know, U.S. hospitals or whoever it was. They went to the Philippines and they were like, y'all need work? Come to the U.S. We're going to, we're going to train you how to become nurses. And you're going to come and you're going to work for very minimum, you know, pay. And it's going to be under the guise of you're going to live the American dream. You're going to get to send money back to your family, whatever the premise was. Right. And so literally they would um, hospitals would hire large numbers of Filipino women, mostly but men as well, and would bring them into this country and put them in, you know, middle America, um, Indiana, Ohio, Wyoming, all of these places that are not very progressive. (laughs) And they're having these experiences of being exploited, of being sexually harassed, um, of, you know, being told not to speak their language. And it's all on the premise of labor. And as soon as you decide, you know what, I don't want to be a nurse anymore, your visa is revoked. And so so we've got this culture that says, yeah, we're going to utilize and exploit people of color as much as we can for our benefit, right? We call it for the benefit of the economy, right? And that you're hundred percent right is, was the entire premise just around slavery in general, because uh, as we know, slavery began with the native Americans when that wasn't enough, then they decided, okay, we're we gonna start shipping in labor, right? Um, and so all of these things, they never quite stop they just transform right you and I have a lot of conversations around abolition prison abolition in general um 
prison labor is something that is big, big major right now. Prison labor exploitation, I would say, is big and huge right now. And it is predominantly people of color who are in prison, who don't have any rights because their rights are stripped away from them on the premise of they are quote unquote criminals. And that cycle continues and has continued to be perpetuated, right? It is an extension of slavery um, that is now illegal, but legal in the terms of criminals, right? Quote, unquote. The other thing I was just thinking of too is I was watching, um, I've been an entrepreneur for a little while now and I was watching the other day, I was so triggered, um, an ad came up on my Instagram and it was a virtual assistant company but all their virtual assistants are overseas. And so what I'm seeing now is white folks, particularly white women who are most of the entrepreneurs, like virtual entrepreneurs that we're seeing these days, white women are hiring people from India, the Philippines, all across Asia at the low minimum wage, just so that they can continue to advance their entrepreneurial things um, and continue to gain a, a massive amount of wealth in the United States while not even paying the basic American minimum wage. And the premise is the story that people are being told, and they will say this openly, is again, you are creating opportunity for somebody else across the world. It's that white saviorism that we continue to to consistently call out and it consistently keeps showing up. And so it's this labor of, oh, well, you know, these people, they need these jobs. And so you can exploit them as much as you want because you're allowing them to feed their families. So if you want to work them 10 hours out of the day, you can. And it's insane how much, um, just how blatant it is, but also how it is accepted. It's an accepted mentality that people think, oh, there's no issue with that. Yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. So it, it's, it's the consistent extraction and exploitation of black and brown folks um, who will never quite really understand the depths of how internalized all of this is. And I was talking to my mom, my mom worked hard. My mom worked really hard her entire life. She just, I wanna say as of a year ago, got to retire. And I don't think she even realizes how internalized that, you know, that level of work was and still is. Cause guess what? She texted me the other day and she's like, oh, did I tell you I got a part-time job? I'm like, mom, you're retired. <laughs> you're supposed to be resting and relaxing and enjoying your life and you just got a part-time job I'm telling you it's so ingrained into our mentality that if we are not producing and being productive we are of no value to society and we are of no value to ourselves and it's toxic, it's toxic as hell. So yeah, I, I'm learning that in real time, just how much I have internalized this, you know, white supremacist, capitalist, exploitative um, ideology. I mean, we could stop podcasts right there. 
<laughs> because of all the things you said that have so much value uh, you know and I'm sitting here thinking through taking notes processing and what she said about your mom made me think about my mom in a sense that I have conversations with her now about like, hey, what does it look like for you to not be doing anything? Mm. And I think similar to your mom, there's this feeling of like, what do you mean not doing anything? You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. But just even larger, there are so many things I thought about when you were talking about like, I don't know if you remember seeing the meme. Like, I feel like this was a, a Jeff. No, it wasn't a Jeff. I feel like it was a meme, but it went around in a couple different, like it, there were a few versions of it. Mm. And it was like a meme. This was like at the beginning of the quarantine, like the shutdowns here in the US. But it was like, if you haven't written a book, started your own business, <laughs> you, you remember that meme from last year that was like, yeah that was like mm-hmm. then you wait doing it way you know something like to that point you get what i'm saying like yeah the co- yeah like during the pandemic while people are at home working remote working trying to homeschool their kids you know all these things you're also expected to write a book start a business like create a grocery line like what the hell (laughs) yeah I remember I remember seeing those and I'm like so basically you want people to continue doing what they were doing and then do all this other stuff (laughs) exactly (laughs) and I'm not gonna lie like um and we're gonna talk a little bit about like decolonial work in a second but when I first saw that I was like oh okay like my first Mm -hmm. orientation to that was like I guess I should try to write a book or start a business or, you know, like, you know, and it probably wasn't until like we got deeper into the quarantine where I was just like, I'm just trying to stay sane right now. Then I was like, that's some bullshit. Right. You know, like what? How? Right. But also, you know, listening to you talk, I also thought about the Haitian people who are in Del Rio, Texas right now. Yeah. And there's so many thoughts and feelings about that. Um, not having the you know access to clean water, for instance, not having access to books, pens, pencils, calculators, right? Like the lack of access creates a level of trauma for people that, you know, again, takes decades to unpack, if ever. Um and we live in a society that doesn't want us to unpack it, right? I talk a lot about decolonization more so than these days I'm talking about anti-racism, although I integrate anti-racist um, you know, philosophy into my decolonial work, because I think it's important to, to state that colonization is needs to be dismantled. It needs to be disrupted because that continues to feed this white supremacist society that you know we know is there and yet are having such a hard time unraveling right pushing it off of its pedestal because colonization inevitably will be internalized in even people of color and they will then start to uphold white supremacy 
And we already see that with colorism, right? And that's always been a part of colorism um, and anti-Blackness in particular. And so, you know, we can't just talk about uh, race and racism without also tackling colonization because all of it is entrenched and enveloped in itself. This is why I F's with you right there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Be because people need to understand we have to be able to both zoom in and zoom out. Mm -hmm. I, I try to tell this to folks. If we wake up tomorrow and for whatever reason y'all took a pill to get rid of racism, would the world be a-okay? Hell no. Right. Hell no. Because there would still be a lot to unpack. A lot because colonial settler projects have interjected themselves in every arena of the global world. We, the global majority, right, aren't just being hit by one violent system at a time. There's a like a multifaceted approach of violence that we have to live through every day. And part of Ileana, you know, and I'm not, you know, feel free to like call me in and disagree with me if you, you want to, but I try to tell people that like racism is just one part of the pretzel. <laughs> you, know mm. you know what I'm saying? Like in the, yeah. in the entire entity of what is oppressive systems, you get what I'm saying? That are anti-human, yes. anti-brown, anti-black, you know what I'm saying? So like, I think sometimes people are like, oh, we just need to get rid of racism and then everything else is going to be great. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> but you tried it mm -hmm. though, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why I mean, why do people need to have a decolonial? Uh, I call a decolonial um, umbrella. That's what I call it for myself. But why yeah. must there be a decolonial branch to their justice work? Well, because it you know inevitably colonization is about oppression, um, and it's a branch of oppression. So if if we're gonna talk about you know, racism as a form of oppression, then we also need to talk about imperialism as a form of oppression, sexism, xenophobia, all of that stuff, right? And um, so we can't, we can't take down, you know, if I'm going to give an analogy, we can't, um, you know, destroy one column of a building without, and think that that's going to destroy the whole building you know, because there's multiple columns holding up the building. <laughs> so you have to tackle um, that all was much of that. better than the pretzel. You heard me. I said that was much better than the pretzel. I'm going yeah. to use your language from now on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like if we're thinking of it in terms of what is the foundation of oppression? And a lot of times it is colonization. And I always like to bring it back to people because, you know, we, we, we live currently under the status quo of white supremacy and Western supremacy. But for other cultures, particularly in Asia and the Middle East, colonization is a lot older than European colonization, right, than white supremacy. Um, colonization, you know, um, was a, a deep part of uh, and, and continues to be in, in, in a lot of ways, a deep part of contention between, for instance, Koreans and the Japanese. Um, colonization in the Middle East, uh, particularly in India um, and you know Arabic folks, that's still you know very divisive. So I think that 
we can't just lay it on, you know, solely on race and racism, because that's still not gonna, you know, stop other people from wanting that level of supremacy and continue, continual um, legacy of colonization. And colonization is about conquering, right? So it's about making one uh, type of people, one group of people, one community or population of people um, higher up on the chain than another group of people. So ultimately, it all very much like capitalism, it relies on exploiting another group of people. And that and exploitation. Just, mm-hmm. Go ahead. And that exploitation. Yeah. And that exploitation is dependent on making yourself superior over another, which is, you know, what we're talking about supremacy. And so we can't just say racism is the root of all evil because racism is a symptom of colonization. It's a symptom of supremacy. It's not the foundation of it. So that's why it's so important to talk about it. Yeah, that's, that's all of that is so good, friend. I just wanted to say for the people who might listen to this and say, I'm going to play quote unquote devil's advocate, right? They'll say, well, Eliana said, you know, it's not just white supremacy. It's not just da da da. I want to like backtrack here. Have there other have other groups of people like have other have other groups, including groups of people of color, engaged in oppressive strategies and techniques? Yes. All right. Because I don't want to pretend that doesn't exist. But what I'm saying is worldwide, globally, when we look at the biggest manifestations of colonial projects that has been associated with people who have connections, ancestry, um, you know, that of European ancestry. Um, And that most of the colonial projects that have the impacts that we're still murking through and muddling through today are those that have been attached to those particular groups of people. So, you know, because some people might be like, well, I mean, because I hear this a lot when people say, well, did it slaves? Uh, did it some Africans sell other Africans or whatever? And I'm always like, okay, sure, if we want to play that game, but let's talk about the European influence that also right. creates the stage for violence. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to respond to that, that if you had to quantify, like, and I mean, I don't know. It may not be helpful, but for some people it might be. If we had to quantify mm-hmm. who's been the largest benefactor and well as the largest enactor of colonial projects, it has been those folks of European descent. Mm-hmm. 100%. And there's no contesting that. Anybody can take a look at you know, the historical record and see that the British Empire colonized, um, you know, basically two thirds, if not more of the world, right? Um, Almost every country with very, very, very few exceptions have been touched by European colonization, whether it was the British Empire, whether it was Spain, Portugal, Netherlands, Switzerland, Ireland, you know, (laughs) name your European country, Um, most countries in the world have been, you know, either colonized or imperial, um, European imperialism has touched that country. So 
and, and we can't. And you know how that, and, and you know how we know this is true. Yeah, because everybody ain't walking around globally speaking Spanish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've got English as the standard. You get what I'm saying? So that's that's very telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we don't even even the so if we're really gonna go back, even in the indigenous populations in Europe don't speak their indigenous languages and don't practice their indigenous cultures because of European colonization. So, you know, I guess you could call that the first white on white crime. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh Lord. <laughs> if, we're, if we're really gonna be honest, right? So just take a look at the historical record. Google is free. All you have to do is look, right? The information is there, right? It's the, it's the leading the horse to water, right? Like the water is there, the horse just has to drink it. So if we're not seeing how through the course of, of humanity, different oppressive tactics have been used, then, and we're only focusing on the current modern day racialized society, then we're missing out on true liberation because liberation is not going to be gained simply by dismantling racism. It's going to be gained by dismantling racism and oppression or oppressive tactics and colonial mentality and sexism and all of these other isms that we have entrenched in our culture. Um, So we have to look at the whole. We can't just look at a single part. It's important because it's important to have a lot of people being experts and being specialists in different categories, but not everybody being a specialist in racism. It's this group of people over here are specializing in racism. And then this group of people over here are specializing in anti-oppression work. And these people over here are specializing in sexism and you know patriarchy and all of that stuff. We need everybody so that when we come to the table and say, okay, what's the greater picture here? Now everybody can provide their level of expertise, which is why I, col- I love to collaborate. And that's how, you know, kind of you and I got together is I love to collaborate across many different lines of race, identity, ethnicity, expertise, academia, non-academia, because I think it's so important that we have discussions across many different lines so that we are putting together these puzzle pieces that create this greater narrative of how do we actually get to liberation, collective liberation? Because everybody needs to be liberated immediately. (laughs) But that's not gonna happen if we're only looking at one part, right? If I cut off, you know, let's say racism is my left arm. If I cut off my left arm, does that mean that now the rest of my body won't work? No, the rest of my body is still working, right? So let's say my entire body is oppression, right? It's oppressive. So if I'm trying to heal the body, I can't just cut off the arm. I have to heal the arm. I have to learn how to you know, direct medicine over to the arm so the arm then gets healed, right? So if I'm trying to get liberated as a person, as an individual, but also for the purpose of collective liberation, I can't just look at one part. You know, we talk a lot about white feminism, right? 
white the the reason we talk so much about white feminism in general is because they're taking a look at patriarchy but they're forgetting the racialized part they're forgetting to integrate oppressive the the oppressive nature of racism as it relates to the whole so yes you are focusing on dismantling patriarchy but in your dismantling patriarchy you are now being oppressive to black and brown women because you are denying them right because you're still looking at yourself as a superior white woman so that's how we need to take a look at it as a society right so even people of color need to start looking at uh, it's not enough to just talk about race we have to talk about all oppressive systems so that eventually we can get to this collective liberation that we're seeking. Well, I think you came here and did the things. <laughs> <laughs> All of the things. Uh, usually I end the, you know, end every episode with just sharing my extreme gratitude. Um, you know, I'm going to tag in this episode's notes how people can support your work. Uh, you are a consultant you have a website you are the founder of embody inclusivity so people can actually really lean into your expertise and formally get support from your organization um i also usually at the end of each episode enter the checking question which mm. is what is shaping my life today and, you know, I feel like it's similar to something you mentioned, but part of my unlearning and relearning in my own decolonial journey has been really getting a posture of demand. And mm -hmm. so really demanding that I, while I may not be able to guarantee, um, 100% guarantee my safety, I deserve that and I can seek that and I can work towards that. So that has definitely been something that is currently shaping me. And it, it's really important because we learn early on that we don't deserve safety, mm. um, especially as, as it relates to anti-Blackness, um, a system that says I'm not even human, let alone deserving the safety. And right. so, um, these so when i say i'm not gonna let these white people kill me i am thinking on all levels but mostly that white supremacy has taught me and my ancestors not to demand the safety that all human beings freely deserve hmm. so i just want to thank you so so much Again, I just imagine people in their cars, if people were still driving places, I don't know, you know, <laughs> COVID times. Uh, but yeah. rather people are listening at home in the cars when they're working out. I think this is one of those episodes that people are gonna listen to and say, wait, I gotta go back. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of rewinding <laughs> because you just added so much. So I wanna give you the opportunity to have the last word and if there's anything you want to lift off before we end our episode tonight. Yeah, no, I just, I, I love being in conversation with you. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. So I'm so happy to, you know, be a part of your new podcast and really celebrate that for you. I think people are going to 
you know, hopefully take away so much from the conversations that you have and the insights that you have, because I just think the world of you. So thank you. I'm honored to be a part of this conversation. And I would just, you know, I think my last words would just be an urge directly to people of color across, you know, black and brown spectrum um, to really continue to investigate how has colonization really affected you and take a look at all of the ways in which you have perhaps assimilated, perhaps adopted um, values of white supremacy and really through that unpacking, allow yourself to shed, you know, a lot of that. I think there's, uh, you know, for many of us, there's a lot of shame once we learn like, oh, what are these oppressive systems and how have I perpetuated them? There tends to be a lot of shame, a lot of, you know, how could I let this happen? How could I do this to other people? How could I adopt this for myself? And we have to give each other a lot of grace because, you know, this, this white supremacy, the, the nature of white supremacy is to um, deny us our humanity. So we have to take back that humanity for ourselves. And part of, you know, rehumanizing ourselves is to give each other grace for the ways in which we have dehumanized ourselves. Um, so that's what I would say, you know, just to kind of fi finalize everything and put the cherry on top is, you know, directly to my, to my people of color is continue exploring, continue unpacking and really shedding a lot of um, the shame that comes with perpetuating whiteness. So with that being mm. said, we are so excited. Um, make sure you reach out to us if you want to learn more about our platforms. Eliana and I both have Patreons. Uh, feel free to subscribe, hit the subscribe button. I think there's a subscribe button on all the streaming services. Leave a review and then get ready for my friend's amazing podcast coming out this year. We're so excited. All right, you heard it. You heard it. That was, <laughs> like, was like a radio DJ. Okay, okay. All right, well, look, bye, boo. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Divesting from Whiteness podcast created by my friend, Kina Reed. Kina is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and educator. She's also the curator behind the Divesting from Whiteness podcast and platform, as well as the Anti-Blackness Reader platform. Divesting from Whiteness was created to start a dialogue that gives folks tools to divest from whiteness and white supremacy culture. You can find it across all major platforms and remember to do good works.